Good morning. We return to chapter 13 in the Gospel of John, mindful of what has happened uh, to this point. As our opening verse, verse 31, states, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Judas has left. He has gone out uh, with his mission of betraying Jesus, handing him over to the authorities, condemning him to the horror of the mock trial, the beatings and the cross. And yet Jesus himself describes it as the moment when the Son is to be glorified. The, the Greek term, uh, doxadzo there, uh, is used to describe something or someone deserving great honour. And yet it's used in the context of the cross, a method of execution that was particularly shameful to the Jews. Uh, doxadzo is also used to describe a time of great celebration, uh, again in the context of the heartbreak, the, the fear and distress resulting from Christ being nailed to the cross. Uh, the term uh, is also used to describe the moment uh, when something of great worth uh, uh, or someone of great worth is, is revealed. Again, it stands in contrast to the cross when everyone else thought that this ended him, that such a death silenced Jesus and reduced his claims of being the Messiah to ash. Of course, Jesus sees the bigger picture. He sees that this moment, this ultimate valley of the shadow of death, will lead to the light of glory. It is, however, not just that the cross is a necessary low point on this road to glory. It is not just that it will lead to the resurrection and the happiest of endings. Rather, he knows that the ignominy of that shame-filled death on the cross will lead to the lips of countless rescued, redeemed people giving praise. The moment that was designed to silence him, to leave his claims in the dust, was the very means by which people will enter into glory with him. The cross will lead to the resurrection, and it will lead to the vindication of all he has said and done. Yet even now he looks to the moment, this moment, as one of glory, and sees that though his enemies imagine this to be his defeat, it is in fact the means of victory. For on that cross he defeats sin. He takes upon himself all of the punishment and sets us free. This is the context of what he's going to do next. He doesn't have very long, um, and so he does what he thinks most important. He teaches his disciples. Uh, now, the teaching of chapters 13 to 17 will draw out different important themes. Uh, he'll provide uh, the doctoral, uh, doctrinal foundations, such as Jesus being the only way. Uh, he'll offer encouragement in describing the role of the Holy Spirit uh, and the final victory that we can all look forward to. And with so little time, knowing that Jesus, even now, is on his way to betray him, he provides the new commandment of verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I imagine that you were aware of having such a short amount of time with those closest to you. 
imagine that you knew that you had entered into the last moments where you could be in their company. What would you say? What would you say if you were their teacher, um, if you were responsible for them, and all too soon you knew that you were going to be taken away? That there would be no time for pleasantries or the, the frivolous or the mundane. You would speak to them about what was most important. You would focus their minds on what mattered the most. And it is in that context that we look at verse 34. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus makes this the foundation for everything else. All of the good theology that follows in the next four chapters starts here. Uh, what we think in terms of sound doctrine uh, that we see again in these next few chapters uh, about uh, Christ being the only way, uh, the true vine, all of that starts here in the love he has for us. What we do in terms of uh, evangelism described at the end of chapter 15 starts here in the love we have for him and each other. What we feel in terms of the, the, the hope that we have in the final victory and the joy of overcoming sadness and grief begins here in love. Everything, therefore, that we think, everything that we do and everything that we feel as the children of God is founded on this. In case we miss the point, Jesus will return to the, an almost identical phrase in uh, chapter 15. Indeed, it's actually really clear in the rest of John's writings uh, that John grasped how important this is. He saw this command as being pivotal to being a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is founded here. So if you look at the rest of John's writings, in the letter of 1 John, it's only five chapters long, but he returns to the topic of love 33 times. At the centre of the book, of 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he reminds us, uh, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. He continues in verse 16. By this, uh, by this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's a theme that he returns to again and again, both in 1 John and uh, in the next letter, uh, 2 John. John got that this was the central point. Love one another as Christ has loved us. Now, the call to love is not new. Uh, from Deuteronomy 6, uh, the people of, uh, people of God had been told to love Yahweh, their God, with everything that they had. Uh, Leviticus 19 verse 18 commands them to love their neighbour as they love themselves. Uh, these are the two main principles that Jesus returns to when he was asked to sum up the Old Testament in Luke chapter 10. It's also important to notice that when Jesus was being questioned about this, he was never questioned on the love. There's never any question as, well, what do you really mean by love? The question is, okay, well, who is my neighbour? That's why Jesus goes on to, to, to uh, explain in, in the Good Samaritan who, who the neighbour is. There was never a question as to the nature of love. And that's because uh, in the Hebrew text in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, love is very clearly articulated. It helps us to remember that in Hebrew there are a number of different words for love. Uh, and so they're able to express the range of love uh, through having lots of different terms. We in comparison have have one term for love that is supposed to have a range of meaning. 
As such, it's understandable that we uh, English speakers may want some clarification of what was really meant by love, whereas those who knew their texts, those who who, who saw what it originally said, uh, had no doubt. And the example I've used uh, previously to show uh, the problem that we have uh, is in the way that we use love. So I would use the word love uh, to describe how I feel about my wife, that deep enduring love I have for her. It is also used to describe the parental love I have for my precious children. But it's also a word that could be used to describe my penchant for biscuits. It shouldn't be the same word. We devalue the word because we use it in such a range of different ways. It it, it lacks the clarity that the Hebrew has because of their range of terms. And so it's no wonder that we can be a little bit unsure of what was being instructed when we were being told to love. Love God and love your neighbour. As I said, the Hebrew doesn't have that problem. The Hebrew term there is a cheb, meaning the greatest love that a human being is capable of. It is the strongest, most enduring, most powerful love of your life. It is love set to the maximum, as it were. What you're most capable of. And yet here, in this new commandment, there is something more. You see, Jesus commands that we love, not just that we love as much as we can, uh, not just that we show uh, to to, to the level that we are are able, but to show it to the level of love that he has shown. As I read uh, in 1 John uh, chapter 3, it is through the death of Jesus Christ that we can know what love really is. The Hebrew people, aware that anything that we could describe as love fell far short of the love of God had a whole separate term for the love of God for all the terms that they had for love they recognized that the love of God was so spectacularly beyond anything that we could imagine it needed a separate term that term uh, hesed that unbreakable constant love of God and it's understood in the Old Testament that uh, it is this love that brings about creation. It is the love that breathed life into Adam, saw him walk with man even after the fall. It is Hesed that comes to repeatedly rescue our broken race. It sees him reach out to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It comforts Hagar in the desert, Naomi in her grief and Leah in her isolation. It is the word that lies behind the children of Israel being rescued from slavery and the horror of Egypt. It's what motivates God's enmity towards suffering and sin and death. And so it is Hesed that would not allow us to be forever without hope. And so for us we see that it leads to the cross and it leads to the empty tomb. It is that love that first loved us long before we were even born. And it is that love, that Hesed love, that provides for us now a future that is beyond all doubt and a future without tears and a future where we get to be with the one that will not let us go. It is an incomparable and immeasurable word. To describe the love of God. All of which means that when Jesus here gives us the commandment, he doesn't just say love each other in that flawed, finite, meagre version of of, of love that the world is perfectly aware of. It is not a command to love to that very low bar that is simply our best. Instead, Jesus redefines what love is. He shows us the love of God in action and now says, love likewise. As John says, by this we know what true love really is. And so having seen it, 
having received it, having been changed by it, we cannot then keep it to ourselves. By its very nature, it is aimed toward others, and it needs to go and touch the lives of those around us. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are moments where that incredible and spectacular, immeasurable love of God is found to be seen coming through a person. And it is a remarkable thing. That love of God, that love beyond our comprehension would be tasted by humanity. That's incredible. But the idea that it would go through people is simply glorious. And that's what we have here. It is important to understand that this is the commandment of John 13. We're not asked to love a lot or in a way comparable to what we might see in the world. We're not even being called to live to the, to the limit that we could muster. We are called to love with a love that is not like any other in the universe. And as such, it cannot be merely powered by our own efforts. Uh, to love as he loved requires that we receive it from him, are changed by him, and that that change is evident in our love for one another. It acts as the evidence of the life-changing power of God. The simple fact that it is not natural, that it is beyond what could be mustered or experienced by the world, is a great witness to all those who would see it. And that is what we see in verse 35. That's how verse 35 makes sense. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As a, a theologian, I am painfully aware of how we frequently create tomes on who God is, what salvation is, uh, what the church is, uh, on how to do uh, discipleship and evangelism. And yet, if at the core of all those things, all those great thoughts, if at the very centre we do not focus on love, we have missed the point. We have missed it entirely. God is love. Salvation comes about because of love. The church is a collection of people saved by love and knitted together as a community of love. Discipleship, evangelism, all of it is to be founded on that same love. By this, all people will know. It, it is a love that acts as a mark of, of quite clear distinction. It stands as the evidence that God has changed you. Of course, when it comes to discipleship or evangelism, uh, we're, we're usually happier to find a less costly way, a less uh, onerous way. And we'll prefer, perhaps, to, to read some books or go to some classes that will give us some effective techniques, you know, gimmicks on evangelism that, that promise to fill the church. All too often when it comes to thinking about how we reach others, we will think of running different events. We'll have some different programmes, uh, different courses that we can run. When we think of the church, we might think of the beautiful building or the music we sing, the preaching we hear, uh, good ministry amongst children and young people, all of which is, is well and good. But if we want to see the world turned upside down, if we want to see the church making a real impact, if we want to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have to love one another. In just the way that Jesus commanded us to love as Christ loved us. You know, in a church 
loves like that. No matter how big or small that church is, people have to recognise that God is there. He will be seen clearly because of that great love. To love like Christ is to display him to the world. And sadly, the reverse of that is also true. For if our lives are not marked by this sacrificial love, then the world will not see Jesus Christ in us and will have every right to doubt our discipleship. This is why at the core of everything we need to have our lives changed by Christ, to experience the love of Jesus, to receive it from him and from there to be compelled to pour out our lives in love. This is the greatest testimony to the power of the gospel. This is how people can know that what we believe is real. We stand as evidence, transformed people, changed beyond anything the world could imagine. When our lives are marked by this kind of love, the world will see the power of the gospel and with the indisputable proof that there really is something to all of this. The command that Jesus gives us is actually quite shocking. Yet if we who love Jesus and know the love of Jesus are astonished by the love that he is commanding of us here, how much more Will the world be astonished by this love? A countercultural love, a love that the world doesn't really know at all. Now, this command is given to us not as a suggestion, it is a, a commandment. And it can feel as if it's asking too much. And that's why I'm comforted by the fact that it is given in the context of misunderstanding and failure. Uh, and that's what we see in the last part when Peter says that he will lay down his life for Christ. It's quite the misunderstanding uh, because simply uh, Peter has got it the wrong way around. Uh, as we see in the chapters that follow, it is Jesus who will lay down his life for Peter and his fellow disciples. It's not Peter for Jesus. As the time of glory comes upon Jesus, it is he who will lay down his life. And from there, people like Peter are transformed. Yet as we come to this text, we are mindful of the failure of Peter, the man who will go on to deny Christ three times. Now I happen to think it's it's just as well uh, that we have this example of hopeless misunderstanding and complete failure immediately after that commandment. It acts as a reminder that for all of our good intentions and best efforts, we need, like Peter, to be utterly transformed, to be completely changed by God in order to do what is required. I know that I would be incapable of the love that I am commanded were it not for the grace and mercy and transforming power of God. There are times where it is very difficult to love one another. There are times where we are hurt and we are let down by one another. And it would be impossible to love. Except I know I can turn to the God of love and I can plead with him to show me his love, to fill me with that love and to go from there with God helping me to show that love. And yet, in the context of the misunderstanding and failure of Peter, when I fail to do that, <laughs> when I, I reel and get, get angry and all those sorts of things, it's not a stick to be beaten with. 
When you fail to act in love, it's not a source of condemnation. You know, Peter will go and follow through in his claims. He will lay down his life for Christ. But that's because he's a man who is transformed. He is a man who will continually be changed by God. So that he becomes the man he's supposed to be. So what we have here is not condemnation. It should be inspiration. When we have this great command being issued, we see that through God, we can meet it. And when we do not, we are reminded that he is willing to see us changed. To see us decrease as he increases in our lives. So the things that are holding us back from loving one another can be smoothed away. Now, uh, the message this morning is not simply uh, an exegesis of the passage that happens to be read. It's not just simply, oh, well, look, that's the, the verse for today. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. It is instead, this, this message today is instead something we need to listen to very carefully indeed. Particularly if we wish to grow as a church. Love is intrinsic to everything that we should be. You know, no matter what programmes we seek to run, no matter how clever our preaching series, no matter how organised the pastoral responsibilities are amongst the congregation, uh, no matter how well planned our evangelistic programmes, if we do not love, we do not show the world what it is missing, we do not live up to what is really required of us. There are churches, even in the Bible, uh, that tire and find that love needs to be rekindled. Now we see that in the Ephesian church in, in Revelation chapter 2. Other churches, you know, they'll resist change despite being called to be continually transformed in the power of God. As we come to this passage, we're therefore compelled to ask not whether we loved in the past, but how we will love him and each other now. To remember that to be loved by Jesus is to then love like Jesus. To come to him seeking to continually be changed by him. To love so that all would see that we are his disciples. What a challenge that is. Yet what a joy it is as we seek the next steps together in love. Amen.